This episode of APC Presents is brought to you by the Milwaukee Mafia Podcast. Join author and historian Gavin Schmidt as he takes you back through the stories of Wisconsin's own mafia history. Subscribe in your favorite podcast player or visit MilwaukeeMafia.com. I'm David Kelso, and you're listening to APC Presents, where I showcase independent podcasters from Northeast Wisconsin. On this very first episode, I've got the podcast kingpin and co-founder of the APC, Eric Walterkins. Eric was one of the first podcast fanatics I ran into when I moved here to Northeast Wisconsin. When we sat down for coffee, we soon realized we both had a dream of bringing podcasters together. And thus, the Appleton Podcast Co-op and this podcast was born. Funny enough, when we met, though, he only listened to podcasts, but just had this idea in the back of his head that he wanted to make one. Now, he currently produces two podcasts with a few more ideas in the works. One of those podcasts is a mafia podcast, which is why I'm calling him the Podcast Kingpin. I don't know if I've ever called him that yet, but I guess we'll see how he responds when he listens to this episode. As you'll find with most of these interviews, I like to introduce you to the humans behind the voice. We start talking about Eric's travels, life with his wife, and his entrepreneurial journey. I'm pleased to present Eric Walter. So Eric, when I first met you, we had met through a networking group and we got matched up to go to a coffee shop and get coffee together. I think out of all the people, I maybe usually capped out like an hour. We sat there and talked for like two hours talking about podcasts. Was it really that long? I don't remember that, but okay. I distinctly remember it because it was the first time I was like, we met at nine. I think we ended at 11. I was like, holy crap. Is is my boss going to pay me for this this extra hour? I was like just burning time talking about podcasts with some random guy. And then at the end of that, we had already put together like a second meetup to then talk about the idea of this co-op. Correct. What was your initial ideas behind that? I had always envisioned a big passion of mine was I go to a lot of, I've gone to a lot of live podcasts and we live for anybody that's not from the Appleton area. We live in a rather small community. So we haven't reached the point where a podcast would ever come to Appleton. And I'm also very big into live music. And I enjoy the fact that because of Myla Music, I feel feel like Myla Music plays a huge role in this, that if you, I mean, obviously not in these times, but in a normal time in Appleton, you can always find live music to go see every week and or pretty much whenever you want in many instances. So I always had in the back of my head, first of all, I always wanted to start a podcast, which at the point in time when we had met that had never, I hadn't even done that in itself. Uh, it was always there as something I wanted to do, but I never actually pulled and started doing it. So, so between that and just wanting to be able to like have that dream of, well, I like going to live music, but it would be fun some weekends to have something else. And because I've always been such a big fan of podcasting, I think podcasting is one of the best platform things the internet has ever built. I was like, I want to be able to go see podcasts on weekends. So that was always just a thing in my head. And, and I guess a big, I'm a big person with getting me to do something <laughs> is 
a little more challenging, but if somebody, if I have somebody there who shares the same passion and would love to see something, I work better with having somebody to push something along. Yeah. So a collaborator to walk with you kind of through that, whatever it is you want to do. Yeah. So it was, I always seen my whole idea was to get something in Appleton that would start stemming up interest in podcasting, Mm -hmm. hopefully build a community of people who are podcasting. And once you have that community, I felt like it would be very easy to then go to bars and say, Hey, as an alternative to your live music on Mm -hmm. weekends, how would you feel about doing a live podcast? Instead of having uh, music that hurts your ears, have a conversation with some people about maybe a local issue or a comedian or something, something along those lines. And I think that that was like that point, it sort of grew very gradually. What was it? Late fall, I think that it was that we met. And then it was like three months later that the pandemic started. And then it was like, well, I guess we'll just be a Facebook group for now. And we slowly, slowly kept building it. And I think we've got like 40 members in the group as a whole and 10 people that are actively participating in it, which is awesome for Northeast Wisconsin. That's usually six months behind on technology and everything else. Yeah. I mean, the growth has been great. The the big struggle so far has been just COVID in the fact that I feel the engagement isn't there, but I think that the engagement isn't there just because we can't get people together in person Mm -hmm. and we can't, it's really easy to ignore a Facebook group. Oh, Where, for sure. <laughs> whereas it, if you start getting people together, start building relationships, people are going to get a much better idea of the power of what you can do as a large group of podcasters mm-hmm. together in a community. Yeah, There's so much knowledge that can be shared for even just the, the, the process of podcasting as itself or for to share the stories and the passions that people have. But I think we're sort of getting into our, our second half here. Okay. Uh, so the... We'll move into the another question that I have for you, sort of just talking about you as a person uh, and what you love, what your passions are, and that'll hopefully stem into the the podcast in the second half of what we got here. But what initially brought you to the Fox Valley area? I'm born and raised here. Born and raised? Yeah. Right here in Appleton? No, in Kakana. Kakana. Okay. So. Very cool. And then what... Uh, what I bet I know that something took you away from this area. What was that? I did for four years going to the military and I moved to Seattle, Washington. And big part of the reason I did that was because I felt like I needed to get away from this area and, (laughs) you know, start something newer. And once I left and to be fair, I Probably a lot of that had to do with the fact that I went to the military, which was not a good experience for myself. Mm. But I felt like what that I learned from that is that this isn't that bad of a place to live. I really started to appreciate what I had here. Yeah. And now that I'm back, I spent four years over in Seattle. And once I came back, I realized there isn't really any place I would rather live. Well, I will, would rather live in a much warmer climate, climbing <laughs> away from the winter, but as far rent as... Rent ain't cheap there. <laughs> yeah, rent isn't cheap there, and as far as just, I like the quaintness of 
this mm-hmm. area. It's a it's a great community. It has a lot of things, but still has a small town vibe. I hate big cities, so. Mm-hmm. Is that what you would say that makes this place special? Because we have like, in my opinion, the the PAC here, which is like huge. The Green Bay Packers are here, but you drive five minutes another direction, and you're in farm country. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I would. I love that part of it, and I love the fact that it still has a small town feel, but at the same time, it's kind of they're making efforts to progress. You know, they're it's not you, you, it's not what you think of as a small town, and it's not a big town. It's somewhere in the middle, and that's where I like to be. Somewhere right in the middle. Yeah, I I'd agree with that. That's one thing that I we also connected on was the food yes. uh, restaurants in general. So what's your favorite restaurant in this area? Because we have some really good restaurants here that I don't think people know about. Easily my favorite restaurant in this area is author's kitchen. I hope I didn't say that name wrong, but I think I got it right. You, you said it right. Yes. I, Lindsay always yells at me cause I say Arthur's kitchen. I always mix it up too. <laughs> and I get yelled at all the time too. Ironically. Oh, funny. So. Maybe it's just a guy thing that, that reads it as it's Arthur's kitchen. No, it's <laughs> authors. And yep. Lindsay's like, no, it's the person who writes a book. And I'm like, okay, fair enough. <laughs> I got it. I haven't been there yet though. So what would be the best thing to order on the oh, menu? The empanada. So okay. how I got turned on to this restaurant was about two years ago. I went to Argentina for two weeks and then we came back. And at the point that point in time, Author's Kitchen was not open yet. Well, it was open. It had burned down and they were in the process of rebuilding it. So the tech, which is who I went to Argentina with, the tech set up a thing so that the head chef would come to the Argentinian's Airbnb and cook us dinner. So he came and even the Argentinians, which for anybody that doesn't know, an empanada is a huge Argentinian food. Oh, is it Argentinian based? Okay. And yeah, I mean, it's all over South America, but yeah, it's very big in Argentina. And they even said themselves that it was the best empanada they had ever had. That is high praise. Yeah. So they're like, they never expect, they're like, I never expected we'd come to Appleton, Wisconsin and have the best empanada ever. I, I got to get there because yeah. I went to Draft, one of our favorite restaurants. It's owned by the same people that own Sangria and the new Urban Modern Kitchen, yeah, whatever right that over. just opened up on yeah. near next to Appium. They added an empanada to their menu and it wasn't that good. Yeah. I was, it tasted a little bit like fry oil, and I was like, I love everything else the draft does, but that was a miss for, for their menu. And I was like, maybe they're just hopping on the, the author's kitchen train for <laughs> empanadas, but they couldn't, couldn't handle the fire there. You got to kind of watch the seasonality. I know right now that one of their empanadas they have, not a big fan of. It's a very cheesy empanada, oh. so a lot of Wisconsin people will probably love it. Not a big fan of it. But I think it's on Tuesday they have empanada specials where they just bring out a whole line of empanadas. Like, they make five different empanadas, and it's just awesome. So Then I, I will have to go on a Tuesday then. Yeah. Because hopefully they still have that special going, because I would love to just try a flight of empanadas. Yes. They're, and they're, you will not be disappointed. If you are, we should probably just stop talking, right? <laughs> I'm not going out to eat with you if you don't like empanadas. <laughs> You can not like empanadas, but you can't not like Author's Kitchen empanadas. Gotcha. So. You also sort of hinted that you've done some world traveling then. You've been to Argentina? I've been to Argentina, correct. Any other places that you've 
been to across the world? So I've been to Colombia. I've been to Japan, Australia, Thailand, Vietnam, Guam. I guess if you consider that world travel. Just because it's a U.S. territory still means it's world. Yeah, where else? It's a different culture there. Singapore, England, France. Okay, you've beaten my list, so (laughs) just stop right there. (laughs) (laughs) But what is it that you love about world travel then? What made you actually want to go to all these places? So the, the way I got turned on to world travel was because of the military. I traveled a lot while I was in the military and, and it really like one of my favorite, one of my favorite places to go is Asia. And that was heavily a place we heavily visited in the Navy. I guess the, the number one thing I like about world travel, and I think it's kind of weird. I don't know that most people get this from world travel when they do it is I love to see the way the different cultures actually live their life. It's more for, you know, when I travel with people, they're like, oh, we got to see this beautiful canyon and, and this beautiful lake or whatever. And I'm like, that's all really cool. But I just like to sit in the middle of a culture and just see the difference between the way they live their lives and the way we live our lives. It's a very powerful thing for me. And it, I've learned things from seeing the way other cultures live to be like, I don't like the way people in the United States do this or do that you know it's i like the simplicity of their lives and just it's just more of a i don't know it's a very hard thing to describe or do you have any examples of that a great example of it is is so when we're in bangkok thailand first of all i went to a street vendor and i paid a dollar 50 for pad thai this pad thai was the most amazing meal that I ever had in my life. It was, it was incredible. And it was just, I was walking up the street and there was just a little cart on the side of the street. And yes, the U.S. has that, but it's not like you see it in Asia. And yeah. you're not, I, I don't think anybody can really ever say they've gone to a cart on the side of the street in the U.S. and it's been the best meal they've ever had. All those documentaries and stuff about like, those the street food basically are not anywhere in America. <laughs> yes, yes. And another example of it is it, again in in Bangkok. Surprisingly, some all the places I've been in Thailand, Bangkok is probably my least favorite, but it probably has the best food for some reason. Probably just because it's the biggest city. Oh. But we would walk around the neighborhoods in Thailand, and it was they were restaurants, but it was almost like the people just opened up their living room. And you would go sit down and they would cook you dinner. So you like walk up their front door and just... Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like that. It was kind of like they would have like a swing up garage door in their house. But it literally felt like you were in their living room and they were just cooking food for you. Try to wrap your head around the thing of like, you knew your neighbor that made the best curry. Yeah. And that's how you got your curry. You just went to your neighbor and, and, you know, and what a way to live. Yeah. Like, and it's so far away from what we're used to here that it almost seems far-fetched. Like, that can't really happen, but it does. Like what we're trying to do with the APC, a sense of community there. Right. And like a local community, don't get me wrong, I love the internet and the online community. I mean, we're in podcasting. Obviously, there's a huge, there's an online community, but we love that you can drive 15 minutes and meet someone else that has similar interests and passions as you. Exactly. And I think what you were 
like it was with getting your curry from your neighbor is like there's a dependence uh, upon someone else <laughs> that you know actually. Mm-hmm. What is it about America that you that has sort of lost that? Can you pin that down? I think these people open up their houses, serve foods in these other countries because I honestly believe it has to do with money. Hmm. You know, the, the money, the, the people there aren't as rich. I mean, and not to say that everybody in the U.S. is rich, but when you yeah. can spot, when you compare it to somebody in Thailand, the average person has two in person in Thailand has a lot of money here. And mm-hmm. so I think our culture has shifted away from that. Whereas people don't want to open their doors to cook food because it's not a necessity. Mm. Embrace that. Yeah. But it's just not available because nobody wants to do it, I guess. I uh, of everything. Are there any other countries or any uh travel stories that sort of stick out in your mind? One thing that I was travel when I was traveling in Vietnam, we if you're familiar with Halong Bay, it's a very fam- famous, like, water area, I guess, on the mm-hmm. ocean of Vietnam. And it's all the fishermen are there and stuff. Well, we rented a boat, basically, that had a captain, and then we had a tour guide and a chef. The one night we were on that ship, and the, the guy, the tour guide, they would always come out, serve us our, our dinner, and then they would just kind of disappear into the, like, captain's room, and they would eat their dinner. Yeah. Well, apparently they were slamming some a lot of wine while they were back there drinking and the and the tour guy came out and he was rather drunk but he just went on this big rant about how people in vietnam he's like you know we don't have anything we don't have money we don't have things we don't have items we don't have anything really but he's like we're so happy and that really resonated with me because when i think when i look at a lot of people in here I don't look at a lot of people as not having money. An average person does pretty well here. Mm-hmm. But I would say that a lot of people are not very happy with their lives. So that really resonated with me. Like, like maybe there is something to what he's saying where just a simple basic life is a lot funner than worrying about a lot of the things that I think people are in the United States get worried about. Are you happy with your life here? Very, very, okay, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I am very happy. You know, the thing is, is like the other day, I don't know why this popped into my head, but I asked Tracy and I was like, you know, throw, take money out of the equation and um, you can have anything you want. Cost doesn't matter. What would you want more from your life that, that you don't have today? We sat there and we both thought about it. My my thing was was if I if a money was of no concern, I'd have a Tesla. And the only other thing we could really come up with was like a Peloton. And yeah. we're like, but a Peloton is real, and and a <laughs> Tesla is really unnecessary. But but like, those are the only two things we could actually come up with. So they're like, this would make our life so much better. Yeah, yeah, like thing. like. What we see out in the world that we don't have, these are the two things that we could come up with that we actually want. So, and I think that yeah. just plays into it that, yeah, I am very happy with what I have and what I do. And because it's, I mean, otherwise I'd have a, I feel like I'd have a bucket list of things I wanted. So let's bring it back to the valley here. Besides food, is there any other places you like to visit? 
I don't know that I have places. I love a lot of the networking entrepreneur type things that I'm involved in and stuff like that. I think the tech puts on a lot of good stuff. Love my one million cups. So you're pretty ingrained in the entrepreneurial scene. Yes, big time. I mean, this is a small community. So what does that entrepreneurial scene look like here? I've been an entrepreneur for 13 years, and three years ago, I didn't think there was an entrepreneur community. You thought you were the only one here? Well, I I didn't think there was a gathering place for him. How's that? Taking those two things into consideration, I feel like it's, it's really strong. Yeah. You know, it can always be improved, like anything. You know, I'm sure that if I go to Chicago and I find their entrepreneur scene, it's going to be rather larger than the one here. Right. But at the same point, it's here. In a way, is it better that it's smaller because there's less people, so you know those people mm-hmm. more closely. You're more connected to them. You have better relationships with them. Have you found those three years since you found that entrepreneurial community here to be really encouraging for your own business? Yeah, the last three years since finding that community, I've grown the most as an entrepreneur in those three years. A lot of that has to do with the community. A lot of it has to do with other things that have happened. But yeah, I mean, it has played a huge role in growing me as an entrepreneur. If I look back three years ago, Mm. I feel like the previous 10 years, I just kind of stayed at the same place. And then once that I hit that community, it started like I started an arc upward Very with cool. growing as as a person and as an entrepreneur. So let's talk about what you do as an entrepreneur then. Okay. It's really unexciting though. I but. know. You told me before, <laughs> but at least give us the two sentence overview. So what I do is I work with a network of suppliers of used books and media. I started out for the first 12 years of doing this, I was just selling those products on Amazon. And then in the last year, I decided to take a spin away from Amazon and I've started working with a network of other Amazon sellers, more or less being just their backbone of where they can get more inventory for their stores. So I tap into my suppliers, they come to me and want books then we funnel the books from my supplier to them instead of funding, funneling them into my stores. Yeah. So an inventory filler. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Distributor, wholesaler, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of things you could go with. The middleman for books and, and media. Anything else you'd like to add about yourself? That's usually a good, good question. To- I think you really covered a lot of me, to be honest with you. World traveler, yeah. entrepreneur, et cetera, et cetera. I don't have many passions beyond that, you know, you know, other than that, I just, well, thank you for the great segue. (laughs) Speaking of good passions, (laughs) we'll talk about podcasting in the next segment. Welcome to the mid roll. It's that sweet spot ad people might actually listen to. So here's my hook for you to keep listening and not skip 30 seconds ahead. Want to win a Sure podcasting microphone and some sweet studio headphones worth $400? All you got to do to win them is start your own podcast. Now you're thinking, well, gosh, Dave, that'd be great, but I have no idea where to start. Well, start right here. Each week during this middle part, I'll give you a podcasting lesson step-by-step in 60 seconds for starting a show. Halfway through the season, you'll be ready to launch your very own podcast. We're calling it the Podcast Fast Class. We'll do weekly check-ins and virtual office hours over in the APC members Facebook group. So come on over. 
Membership is completely free, but it is exclusive for Northeast Wisconsin folks. To sign up and read the official rules, visit appletonpodcast.com and click the banner at the top or find the direct link in the show notes below. Now, back to the interview. What's your favorite podcast to listen to? Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's on a hiatus now because of <gasps> some issues. But long historically, my favorite podcast has been Reply All. Mm. For anybody that doesn't know, is on Gimlet. And a lot of Gimlet podcasts. I also, I do a lot of podcast listening for stuff within my industry and mm-hmm. things like, not so much in my industry, but things I'm into personal finance type stuff and stuff like that. Kind of in between podcasts on that though, because I've kind of grown sick of the ones I've been listening to. So I'm out searching for new ones. They've gone stale. But, but Gimlet has been a time honored favorite of mine. What did you like about reply all? What made it special to you? Um, well, I'm a big, like I, we, we alluded to earlier, I think a little bit is I'm big on the internet and I, it's, it's a big thing for me. And, Reply All just does a lot of fun subjects really focused around the internet and things happening on the internet that it's just a, it's a lighthearted podcast that really touches to things that I'm interested in because mm-hmm. they're all internet related. And obviously just the professional quality and, and I've always yeah. been a big fan ever since I believe Planet Money. I've always been yep. a big fan of Alex Bloomberg. So the minute I found out that he was starting his own podcast network, that was immediately, I I ran, I ran over to it. And I think that was kind of when, when Gimlet started, that was kind of my, my eye-opening experience with how big podcasting was becoming. I guess I've, I'd seen a lot of other networks out there. It always seemed like the other networks were just the guy creating a network, bringing podcasts together. And I think listening to Startup and seeing Alex go and find all this venture funding to to start this, it made me realize, mm-hmm. like, wow, this is becoming something way more than what even I ever expected it to yeah. become. People are putting funding behind this. Yes. And someone's actively making a business model of podcasting right do you think that's possible for every person to what to monetize your podcast um i think it is but i if i if anybody were to ever come to me and ask me about starting a podcast i would tell them to never do it for the funding like if you want to do this because and it's the same thing with any sort of content creation and maybe this is short-sighted of me but I would never get into a con- any sort of content creation business with the intent of making money. I would do it because you're passionate about what you're doing. And mm-hmm. hopefully, once you it grows, you'll eventually see the fruit of that labor. But I do feel like and with any sort of content business, it's, it's a long haul to get there mm-hmm. to getting seeing the profits come in. And if you're just doing it to get to that point you're going to burn out before you get there. Yeah, there's a lot of other paths you could take that could be more sustainable for for short term. Yeah, if you're looking for immediate money, I would say that podcasting is not go to Vegas. Right. You yeah. have a better chance of winning. Yeah, <laughs> winning yeah, something. yeah, exactly. I think some of the stats that 
recently it's like 75,000 episodes of podcasts are being uploaded daily. There's over a million that are on Apple, but only 400,000 are active. But compared to like YouTube, which is like trillions of minutes a day of video content that's being uploaded, many of it unwatchable, but Mm -hmm. people are saying that we're an unsaturated market. Do you still think that with all the podcasts that you've listened to and know all the podcasters everyone and their mother has a podcast nowadays so i think that certain segments within podcasting are saturated so if you want to jump into like a personal finance uh i'm trying to think of other good examples Uh, you can probably throw crime true crime (laughs) yeah these there's tons of podcasts out there but with milwaukee mafia i learned when we started that podcast that was a that's I don't consider that my podcast. I'm mm-hmm. just on it, and it's it's Gavin's podcast. But you get to be the voice of the listener in that podcast, right? The I don't know anything. Tell me about it. Yep, yep, exactly. <laughs> so when we started that podcast, I had never even bothered to look and see because this is what Gavin does, and mm-hmm. he, it wasn't going to sway from that subject matter. You know, he was going to do something Milwaukee Mafia. There was no discussion about what the right subject matter was for the podcast. Mm -hmm. And I quickly learned, go out on iTunes and look up Mafia. There's like literally no Mafia podcast, which is shocking to me that they don't exist. But accidentally, I think he found a wide open market. And I think it's a market that... Obviously, people people love the mafia. They want to hear about the mafia. If you just look at the success of mafia movies in general, like right. Godfather 3, I think, is still top 10 on IMDb for best movie of all time. And when we look at our listeners, you've got people from Finland listening to this podcast, and it's about Milwaukee. <laughs> Like, you know, granted, the majority of listeners are in Wisconsin, but there's Finland, Bangladesh, for some reason. It just listeners all over the place that are listening to this podcast. That just stumble across Mafia and be like, yeah, I'll give it a listen. Yeah. So there are plenty of little corners of podcasting that are wide open for the taking Mm -hmm. that are completely unserviced and they're going to just keep coming and keep, you know, new, new markets. Yeah. New markets are going to appear all the time because people's tastes are constantly changing from that perspective. Is it completely 110% wide open? No, probably not. But is there plenty of opportunity there? Yes. And is there probably more opportunity than, say, going out and starting a YouTube channel? I would think so. I think the professionals would call that knowing your niche. Mm-hmm. Niching down to like being so specific that like they can't not search for you if, it, if that's what they're looking for. Right. The thing about being local, and that's why we sort of started the Appleton Podcast Co-op, is that like being locked to a geographical location automatically gives you those people that are interested in that. But like Milwaukee and Mafia, that's a specific thing to like Wisconsin. And then Mafia is the the broader one. I'm sure you could even probably niche it down even more than that. How did you meet Gavin? And what was that like to have sort of walk him through the podcast creation process? Well, when I when I first met Gavin, we were in kindergarten and we were playing All with right. little little G.I. Joe action <laughs> figures and we made a movie out of them. You started so, your own mafia. Okay. So, 
So yeah, we've I've known Gavin for a very long time, and Gavin actually he works with me within my business oh, cool. on a day to day basis. So, but we've been friends. He's he's worked with me for probably six years now, at least. And actually, between me and my brother. My brother is also a big podcast listener, and he's a big fan of the Dollop. If you're familiar with the Dollop podcast, because you've told me about it. (laughs) For the listeners who don't know what the Dollop is, it's two comedians. One of the comedians takes the time in history, researches it, tells the story, and then the other comedian sits there and makes fun of the story, essentially to break it Mm -hmm. down to the simplest form. So my brother always had the conversation back and forth, like Gavin should start a podcast. Gavin should start a podcast about the Dollop. And then about the dollop or about like the dollop, like I'm the sorry. Dollop, yeah. About the mafia. Yeah, yeah. About, but about, yeah, about the mafia. So that kind of always hung out there. And then we met and then I started running down the path of actually creating my own podcast. And I told him about it and he's like, yeah, I totally want to do that. And like I do with a lot of things, the last year has been extremely busy with my business and the equipment has sat here and I haven't done anything with it. And finally, one day Gavin's like, when are we going to start my podcast? And I'm like, you know what, Gavin, we're going to start it now. So then we, yeah, well, it wasn't today, this but, week. but I said, Two weeks, we're going to record the first podcast, and that's exactly what we did. That's probably a very similar story to a bunch of other people. They have this idea in their head of like, oh, I am knowledgeable about this. Because Gavin is a historian and an author. He wrote a book on the mafia and yeah, like, did actually, a bunch of research. He's actually got nine published books now. Oh, nine? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, not all of them are on the mafia though. Gotcha. So, but, but but it's still like he's not just someone pulling smoke or just looking up an article every week. Like, no, he's very knowledgeable of like the history. I'm sure other people are thinking of that. Like, I I know this a lot about this one thing. I'm not sure what medium I should do it in. Uh, oh, maybe podcasting. What would you say to that person? I would say to anybody that's nervous about setting up starting a podcast that. I come from a background where I have no audiovisual experience whatsoever. I have absolutely zero experience with doing any sort of thing like this. I was always very nervous when about starting that first podcast because I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. But I was shocked when I actually sat down and did it, how not difficult it was. You're probably going to tell that it's not done by an expert, but the whole idea of editing a podcast was just totally intimidating to me. It was like, I I don't know what I'm doing. And I talked to a couple people about editing podcasts. Obviously, you told me what equipment to buy. I would have had no clue what equipment to buy. (laughs) But once I actually sat down and did it, I was shocked at how streamlined and easy the process was to at least get the show up there. I'm not going to tell you it's the best quality, but I I do feel like it's not offensive to listen to. Oh, no. So, I mean, to anybody that's worried about the technology side of doing a podcast is, I would tell you that if I can do it, you can do it. There you go. So With a bunch of manufacturers creating stuff specifically for content creators, they're making that process even easier with USB microphones, really simplified audio interfaces. It makes affordable podcasting 
more accessible to people to be able to share those voices that maybe we don't hear as much or have a really unique knowledge about something in particular. And you don't always need the highest quality, you need good quality. But I think the sincerity and the authenticity of the conversation and you as a person, I think is more important than having the $300 microphone and the $400 preamp with everything. I am an audiophile and an editor and a really technical person. So I really get nerdy about that stuff. But like to get an adequate sound, you don't need all of that. I would agree with that. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. And I would tell you that the quality of content is way more important than your actual equipment and your your abilities as an editor. If you're telling a good story, which I think Gavin does a very good job of telling a good story, then people are going to be able to listen to it and get over those little hiccups that you have in the learning process of creating the content. Yeah, I would have warned against like, and maybe you remember this company, but I remember back when podcasting was first getting started and I was looking into it, there was a company that created this podcast platform that you would call in all the people on the podcast would call in on their phones and talk, and then the service would record the phone call, and that was your podcast. Do not do something like that. We are beyond that kind of quality of yeah. recording. But as long as you get a semi-decent microphone, mm-hmm. you're probably pretty safe as far as the quality goes of the podcast. Yeah. So you're saying don't use your internal laptop or phone microphones. Yes. And when you do it, make sure that your audacity is set to your input. I don't even know what that box is called, <laughs> but but we were, were just before this podcast, we were discussing an issue I had that took me like three weeks to figure out. And I'm like, duh. And when we figured it out, I was like, wow, it's like 150 times better of sound quality by yeah. just clicking this one button. Revealing your technical knowledge <laughs> there, but knowing that the equipment is easier to use and there's tons of people out there online and locally here in the Fox Valley that are willing to sort of share the knowledge that they've learned along the way. Does everything have to be perfect? No. I mean, it depends. I'm assuming for you it has to be perfect because you said you're quite (laughs) anal about that kind of thing, but... Yes, I am. I also went to school for it. And it's taken me a little bit to be like, just because it's not recorded on the best microphone in the world doesn't mean that it's not good. I'm trying to get better to express that to other people too and not like be hoity-toity about, oh, I've got the fancy microphones. <laughs> See, and I, I'm constantly trying new podcasts. And it isn't very often that I try a podcast where the audio is offensive to me. Like you listen to it and it's like, I don't care how good the content is. I just, I just can't listen to this. And it, that doesn't exist anymore. And it, well, at least I don't find it. I'm sure it's got to be out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a sign to everybody that, that times are changing and this isn't as hard as it once was. So for you to get an acceptable audio quality, it's not a far-fetched thing to do. It's pretty easy to get a basic understanding. I would equate, you know, my knowledge was... 20 minutes of being taught what to do. I sat down and I talked to a a guy that does audio audio editing professionally for 20 Mm. minutes. We never looked at an audio audio editing software. He just basically told me what he did. I used what he told me to start editing my stuff. Yeah, It's not a huge curve to get over. For me, the biggest curve was just doing it, Mm. you know? And once I did it, I was like, wow, this is really easy. I don't have other podcasting platforms, but I can say that like if all of them are as easy as Captivate, 
then like they really <laughs> nailed down the hosting side of it yeah because captivate is so easy to publish a podcast to you know and when i launched the first milwaukee mafia i looked at it and i'm like man how do i get these two all these podcast platforms yeah and i just went into captivate and i'm like oh it's all right here and i just click buttons and it was click really yeah and, and then i just put this link over here and once you're done with that anytime you upload an episode it just goes there yeah it was strikingly easy like that's one of the reasons that i switched over to captivate and i've gone through probably three or four they try to make the transition from one hosting service to another as easy as possible but i found that they usually insert extra gobbledygook into your show notes and so you have to go back through every single episode and delete that stuff out so i try not to switch very often but captivate does have a bunch of extra valuable tools that are incorporated into it integrations with mailchimp with wordpress so just spend the six dollars the twelve dollars it is not that expensive these days to not have to think about it mm -hmm. and so you can concentrate on your content exactly this is something that anybody can do mm -hmm. and the only excuse you have for not doing it is not doing it because go to apc and just post a message on the Facebook group, say, hey, I want to start a podcast. Will somebody sit down with me and teach me? And if nobody else will do it, I'll certainly do it. I I'm, I'm, feel like there's way more qualified people to do it on that group than I am, but but I can at least get you started. Yeah. So, Do you have any tips for beginning podcasters about making your content, actually? Not recording or anything, but like coming up with your content. As of right now, I don't create the content, so... I don't know that I'm really that I'm really qualified to say that, but but with me and my wife Tracy are trying to work on another podcast. The podcast we're creating is more me telling a story and Tracy asking questions to me about that story. So dolloping your life, pretty kind of, yeah, but me not dolloping because they're funny and we're not. So, it, so it's more a little, curiosity, yeah, inquisitive, a little bit. A little bit You're saying Tracy's not funny at all. We're we're both funny, but not on not on a microphone. So you're not stage comedians, yeah, is what you're yeah, telling me. No, no. Stand up comedy is not in our wheelhouse whatsoever. You're an artist and a businessman. Yeah. But I come up with these bullet points of what we're gonna talk about, what mm -hmm. I'll talk about on the subject, and then I give her a list of questions that she can potentially ask me. She might ask me those mm. questions as we're recording. She might also on the fly, come up with questions based on things I say. So you're making yourself the guest sort of in that aspect. And That's she's the idea hosting. behind the podcast. Is she? It's going to be kind of the flip between what Milwaukee Mafia is. I'm going to become Gavin. She's going to become me. Interesting. And yeah. what are you guys going to talk about? Or what uh, are you we're going to walk through the his, my story of being in the military. So we're gonna we're gonna start from me going into boot camp and just tell all the stories of the things I experienced, the things you know. From what you've said, even on this podcast, you don't have the highest praises for the military, but you're not shooting it down either. You have that sort of middle ground. It's gonna be. It. It's gonna go both ways. Yeah, I don't regret ever being in the military, but I do have a lot of negative things to say about the military. Mm -hmm. So, so we've actually 
planned in the first episode. We actually have the first episode recorded, but it's Ooh. just been sitting there. And I think we're going to probably end up going back and just redoing it. And that's always totally cool. Getting on the mic and practicing, you don't have to post it. You can record it, listen to it, show it to your friends, and then redo something else. Like there's always opportunity to grow and change. And I think that's what then what you want to do with that podcast. And you're taking everything that you've learned from every other podcast and funneling it into this one. So Eric, I really appreciate you being on, on the show. Any other parting words you want to leave the listeners with? Just get out there and take steps to do it. If you're really overwhelmed at the concept of it, that's totally understandable. And that's what the Appleton podcast co-op is there for, you know, reach out to that group, Reach out to somebody within that group, and I'm sure somebody will help you with whatever questions you need answered. Awesome. Thanks for the plug for our, our co-op and for letting me into your house to record this. No problem. It's been fun. There it is, our first interview in the books. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation with Eric. Next week, we're going to do something a little different. Right in this feed, you'll hear my favorite episode of Eric and Gavin's podcast, Milwaukee Mafia. I won't give too much away, but it does involve a counterfeiting ring and a WWE-like encounter with the police. To listen to the Milwaukee Mafia and learn more about Eric, you can check the links in the show notes. If you're hesitant about starting a podcast, like Eric said, just do it. Head over to AppletonPodcast.com for community support and resources. You don't need fancy gear to get started, but remember, you could win some. If you know someone in Northeast Wisconsin who wants to start a podcast, will you share the show with them? And if you've made it this far, please take a second to rate and review this podcast on Podchaser. I'm David Kelso, your neighborly podcast nerd, and thank you for listening. It's been a while since I've been the host, not going to lie. <laughs> a little nervous or what? <laughs> Yeah, because I don't want to waste your time and be like, okay, we're an hour and a half in, and I have like three questions I still want to ask. We get an hour and a half in, I'm just going to cut you off. You're just going to cut me off. It's like, you got enough content, man, figure it out.